0: I want to this morning talk about what is it that motivates you. And uh, today is a, just a singular Sunday. Next week we're starting a series, "Begin Again." So I get the week to, today to just kind of uh, just kind of talk about something that I've been thinking about, something that um, really I I think sometimes I've been teaching uh, in a lot of private conversations. But just to take a week and say, all right, let's just pick kind of uh, a piece of scripture, talk about it, and let's grow. So this idea of motivation, some of us are trying to motivate ourselves, you know, coming into the new year, trying to say, all right, I'm going to build myself up. I'm going to do something I've never done before. And there's a lot of positive motivation, but there is negative and even sinful motivation. I want to start by reading a, a verse to you. Uh, it's in Proverbs chapter 16, it's verse number three. And it says this, people may be pure in their own eyes, But the Lord examines their motives. And so to break that down real quickly, it says, we can look at our lives and our motives and our actions and say, yeah, I did that okay. I mean, I I did that with a good motive, And, uh, and say, I'm innocent, I've done nothing wrong. But God, when he looks at us, he knows our true motive. We can so quickly deceive ourselves into thinking we did something for a good action. Uh, and, and but really, we did not. But he truly knows our motives. Now, when you think about your life, there could be you, you know uh, just different things that you're doing. Whether you're trying to go for a promotion, whether you're trying to, um, whether you're trying to uh, um, uh, start a relationship. You know, even the reason you serve in your community, what is your motive to do those things? And as we look at our heart and evaluate our heart and check those things out, um, we, if we're kind of really honest or if we let God speak into those things in our lives, what we can discover are some sinful motivations that are causing us to respond a certain way, to act a certain way, or to try to achieve certain things. So um, some examples of this a sinful or wrong motivation would be revenge. So, I mean, revenge can show up in all kinds of ways where it looks positive. Why are you, you, you know, you could be trying to start a relationship with someone only to make your mom and dad mad? You just know this is not the type of person they would approve of. So I start a relationship with this person. Doesn't have anything to do with love or wanting to start a relationship with this person, even liking the other person. It is about your mom and dad and trying to get a revenge on them. You can um, you could try to serve out of uh, out of um, uh, out of pride and say I'm going to self sacrifice in my life. So people will notice me and admire me and talk about me, and maybe one day they'll, you know, I'll get uh, on the front page of one of these, uh, one of these famous websites. They'll and they'll talk about how much I gave to that my community. So your motivation is not giving to your community. Your motivation is personal recognition. Your motivation can be selfish ambition. I want to do these things and achieve and get ahead. Um, even within church, I want to do all these things and serve, not so that you can help people to meet Jesus, but maybe so you get the chance to stand on the stage. There's nothing special about the stage. The lights are painful, all right. But but you're saying I'm going to do all these things. I want to get noticed. I want to be the maybe the pastor's best friend, or I want to be the influencer. I I want the title, and and your motivation is sinful, even. For something godly. We don't like to admit our motivations. We don't like to have that exposed, and we work very, very hard to, um, uh, to convince ourselves. You're at work against yourself to continue on the path that you're on, oftentimes. Now, there's another motivation that we're going to take more time talking about, and it is the motivation of Rebellion. So your, you, you, your motivation is not to, um, is not to really uh, accomplish anything for yourself, but your motivation is just to throw off anything that you feel has been hindering you. We see re- rebellion, um, you know, typically we would, uh, we would think, uh, you know, teenagers rebel against their parents. Well, not every teenager does that, and not every teenager has to do that. You don't have to do that. But that's something that we see so often. Parents put rules and constraints, and the teenager says, I'm throwing all that off. I want freedom. We see adults rebel against their boss or their manager or their supervisor and say, I'm just not doing it that way. And it could be something... Um, so stupid, but you know, where it says, please don't remove the stapler from the office, and you're like, I'll bring that to my desk if I want to. And you just just these subtle ways where you know you won't really get in trouble, but you're just trying to vent out your rebellion. Like, no one is gonna tell me what to do. You know, we can even rebel against ourselves, which seems so stupid. But we give ourselves a goal, we give ourselves. Uh, uh, something that we that we want to achieve, and then we say, I- I'm not going to do that. So an example of this would be a diet. You say, you know what? I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to lose weight. And you're like, diet so stupid. And you're like putting frosting on all your, le- on all your lettuce. All right? Yeah. So you're, you're rebelling against something you want, your budget. You establish your budget. You say, you know what? I don't, I don't want to overdraft it anymore. I want to save for retirement. I want to change. And then Halfway through the month, you rip that thing up. and like, but this is stupid. I, you know, I can't buy any more TVs now. And, and you just like rebel against yourself. You can even rebel against your own covenants. And you can, one day, you've stood before your, your husband or your wife and you said, I do. And then you begin to feel pressure from that constraint. I liked it better when I was single. And you begin to rebel against the covenant you made with your own mouth. It's a bizarre thing that we would do that. Why would we do that? Why would we go against ourselves and, and rebel against ourselves? Why don't we just be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I really don't like having money in the bank. I really miss the calls from the, collect, from the collections agencies. I miss them. You know, that, that lady, uh, uh, Mindy, she was so loud. I, I just miss her. And, and so if we just be honest, like, I don't want self-discipline. and if We could be honest about some of those things. We wouldn't have to rebel against ourselves. We could deal with other sins. But the, the thing about kind of all this is, and one thing that's true for every single one of us is that we have all at one time rebelled against Jesus. And this, you know, this is kind of the part where people are like, I don't think I've ever rebelled against Him. Um, but if we try to have an understanding that's theological, so it's not just based on our own ideas, but trying to understand God and understand how, uh, how God encompasses the universe in our life, one thing that's true is we've all rebelled against God. We've all rebelled against Jesus. Now, it's part of why we celebrated Christmas, Because even though we rebelled, even though we're enemies of God, Jesus still came for us. He still came on a quest to offer us forgiveness, even when we're running from him, even when we're acting so contrary to what he's called us to. He still came after us. He still died on the cross. And knowing that so many people would still rebel and they'd never accept that forgiveness, he still did it. He didn't add up all the percentages and say, how many are going to follow me? How many are going to reject me? That's not a high enough percentage. I'm not going to come. No, he still came for you, for me, for humanity. So let's talk about this. Why do we rebel? And uh, you think like this isn't applicable to you, but kind of begin to think and be honest with yourself. We all kind of have this in us. What happens is someone says, I need freedom. I just need freedom from... Uh, from, the, the, uh, from the time clock, I need freedom from the, the ball and chain of this marriage, I need freedom from the rules of my parents, I need freedom from God's expectations on my life. So we rebel against what we feel are constraints. But here's kind of the big thing and, and the reason why we're talking about this and the reason why this is so dangerous. Rebellion is a constraint. It is a constraint. And, and if we can begin to see that, to allow that in our heart, to cultivate that in our life, to keep that attitude, to say, you know what, I'm putting that stapler wherever I want. If they don't like it, then they don't want to hear where I'm going to put that stapler. You know, and we can rebel against all those things, but those little things that creep up are constraints and bondages that keep us from God. That keep us from Jesus, that keep us from from uh, everything that Jesus gives us—joy and peace and uh, and hope and compassion and love. It it constrains us and restricts us and holds us in bondage from ever receiving any of those things. The passage of scripture that we're looking at today is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I want to read you one verse out of it before we kind of break it down and look at uh, everything that's in there and why Samuel said this. But Samuel was was a prophet, and he's speaking this to a king. The guy's name was King Saul, and Saul had done something wrong, actually many things that were wrong, and Samuel is confronting him. And he said this in verse number 23, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Well, stop right there. There's not too many places you can go to experience witchcraft here in Dover. It happens. Um, but uh, most of the time, we just look at those people as just a little bit off. And really, we go about our lives. But if you, uh, if you go to some other cultures in our world... I mean, witchcraft, um, though, those people who practice that, they can control entire communities with uh, uh, just kind of demonic sorcery. And it seems bizarre to talk about in our culture here in, like, laid-back New Hampshire. Um, but, um, but if you ever go on a missions trip or go to certain countries, um, it's very real the type of uh, just... Um, Uh, Dark things that happen. So, because we live, you know, in the the nicest state in the union, let's not kid ourselves that um, that these things don't exist in other parts of the world. So, he says it's as sinful as witchcraft. So, worshiping Satan, rebellion is as evil and as sinful. As worshiping Satan, that little thing in your heart that says, "I'm not listening to them. I'm not going to do what my mom and dad tell me to. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to file my my taxes when I want to. I'm not doing it in April. I'll do it whenever I please." And uh, that little thing in there is as sinful as you getting up here this morning. You know, as you. W- singing the songs we sang this morning and changing the words from Jesus to Satan, as sinful as that. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And he says, goes on to say, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. We have this thing in us of rebellion and rebellion causes us to do what we don't actually want to do causes us to say things we don't actually want to say, but causes us to act in ways we don't actually want to act. It causes us to behave in ways we don't actually want to behave. The 17-year-old that says, I'm done with you, mom and dad, I'm moving out, I'm getting my own place, does not actually want to work 40 hours a week to pay for their apartment and their food and their insurance and their own internet. They don't actually want that. But that's the fate they accept because it is because it just leads them into a lifestyle and, uh, and leads them into decisions, thinking about how they're going to affect other people. And rebellion causes you to keep going even when you want to quit and say, this is so stupid. I know this is not the right relationship. This is so stupid. I know this is not the right job. This is so, so stupid. I know this is not the right way to but I don't want them to win. I don't want them to tell me that they were right, so I'm going to keep going down this path anyway. What happens is the reason how so quickly rebellion becomes a constraint and a bondage is because you aren't living to fulfill your life, and you aren't living to fulfill God's call on your life. You're living to affect other people. And every decision and every thought, and even every prayer, if you're still at a point where you're praying, it is about everybody else. It's not about you and your heart and your Savior. And it quickly pollutes us. It quickly affects us. And the enemy is, uh, is right there ready to send you, um, to, to drive you far away from God. The passage I just read in first Samuel, this was a time of history when a man named Saul was king of Israel. He was the very first king, and he was really picked because he looked like a king. He was tall, he was, uh, he was athletic, he looked like a leader. So when people saw him, they wanted to follow him and so he was, he was picked in large part because uh, when people said when people were crying to God, we want a king th- th- God get so, all right, you want a king, I'll give you the one that looks like a king. And they were so happy about that, like, wow, this is amazing, we have a king. So Saul initially was trying to live and to please God, but slowly, as God would giving him instructions, he began to just go his own way, make his own decision, say, God, that's a good idea, have you considered this? And then he would live and act according to his own ideas. And um he, he was the first king. He considered, he, he knew that. He recognized that. He probably, you know, he probably assumed, I will be king forever, and uh, just began to get really comfortable in that title and in that role. And this passage that we just read, where Samuel said that stuff about rebellion, it was after God had given Solomon an assignment. And God had given them a few pretty clear instructions in this. They had just gone to battle with a nation who was trying to eradicate them, the Amalekites. And God said, you need to destroy everything. Don't keep anything that they have for yourself. And the king, he needs to be executed um, and, and not taken as a prisoner. I don't know all of the political things that were happening there, but the Amalekites were an evil nation and, uh, and they were hell-bent on killing and destroying and capturing and enslaving the Israelites. So just this was a protection for the nation, and God gave Saul instructions on all of this. Now, Saul didn't do those things, or he, or he did most of it, but not all of it, and that's what we begin to read. So how how is it that he rebelled against God? And as we look at these things, we begin to see how is it that we can be so quick to rebel against God ourselves? So we rebel against God when we live for created things. In verse number nine, it said, Saul and his men spared Agag's life. That was the other king. And they kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat cows, and the lambs everything, in fact, that appealed to them. God said, destroy everything. And they looked at everything and, like, and their decision was, hey, let's keep some things. Let's keep the good things. And uh, I know God told us to, to destroy everything, but that's kind of a waste. Let's destroy the things we don't like. And um, that would be in your life if you say, you know what, God, I'm going to repent of my sin, but the sins I don't like, I'm going to keep the sins I do like. So um, so these sins I like, I'm going to keep those. These sins I don't like, you can have those. I promise you, I'm not going to do those anymore. And, uh, and, and this is kind of what he's done. He said, all right, God, I, I know you've given me this instruction, but I just, if you just trust me on this, I've got this figured out. And he, he lived for creative things. He wasn't living to please God. He wasn't living to honor God. He was living for stuff. I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before, you you know, I I need to buy a car um, so I can get a job. I need a job so I can pay for my car. That kind of that cycle, like if you didn't have a car, you wouldn't need a job, but now that you have the job, you need the job, and you can't lose the job because it's got to pay for the car. And so which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, this idea of us, we are living our life, our existence, we're living to pay bills We're uh, living to acquire stuff. We're living to impress others. We're not living for God's assignment on our life. We're not living God's call on our life. We're not living his mission, his plan. And what happens when we're living for stuff? Well, I can't can't come to church because I got to work to pay for the house. I, you know, I can't be. Um, I, I, I can't be in a in a, in a circle. I can't, um, I, you know, I can't be my neighbors. I I can't help out my community. I can't do what God's called me to do because I have all these things that I have, all these things that, that I need and still want to buy. And another way of saying that we. Are living for created things. Another thing would, to say would be we're worshiping created things. You're not when you're not living for God, but you're living for your stuff. That means you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping your stuff. And how foolish it is to worship your house when in needs a new septic system. How foolish it is to worship your house when you know when you have to spend all this time upkeeping it and taking care of it. As opposed to worshiping your creator who fixes you and changes you and works on you and on your life. Or to worship a car to live for an automobile or a snowmobile or or a hobby and not live for your creator. Begin to see, we sometimes put things out of whack. And to live for our house or our garden or our hobbies is rebelling against God. Because what we're saying is, hey, God, I understand you and who you are, And I understand you're telling me how great it would be to live for you, but you don't know how great it is to be on a motorcycle in the mountains of New Hampshire. So I'm going to live for that. I'm going to do that. You don't know how great it is to sleep in. Uh, You don't know how great it is to to do the things that I'm doing. I'm going to live for these things, and I'm going to live to please myself. I'm not going to live for these things. Now, we rebel against God. We see in verse number 13 when we... Rename our sin. We've talked about sin a lot. Sin is anything that we do that uh, that um, uh, that is uh, uh, anything we do that separates us from God, and it can even be things we don't do, but they separate us from God. It's a pollution in, of our heart and our spirit. It's a spiritual thing that happens. It's not just because you can be the best, most perfectly behaved person and still be a sinful person because there's a pollution in your heart. And what happens is there are things that we continually do that are just a constant pollutant into our life, constantly separating us from God and um, and from his plan for us. And what happens is when we're confronted with that, we rename it. Verse number 13. All right. So Saul, he's disobeyed God. We just read that. And when Samuel shows up, it says, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. So Samuel is the prophet. He's talking to God. I know this as a pastor. When someone's not living right and I, and, and, uh, I stop getting invites to like their kids' birthday parties and, and things like that, uh, because they don't want to see the pastor when they know they're going a direction opposite from God. Saul, he's oblivious here. Or he just doesn't even care. Here's the prophet showing up, and Saul uh, greets him cheerfully. And Saul says, may the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. We rename our sin. What did Saul call his sin? Success. I've done what God said. We won this battle. It doesn't matter how. He went about accomplishing it. If God tells you, so let's think about kingdom builders. We took the miracle offering a couple of weeks. We had a few testimonies shared about someone who said, you know what, I feel God's telling me to give this amount. What if God told you to give a certain amount? You know, it's 500 bucks. God, I just feel God telling me to give 500 bucks to kingdom builders. And so your response is to go out in the middle of the night, smash car windows until you collect 500 bucks in change and and money. And then you bring it to the offering. You're like, I have been obedient to the Lord. He called me to give $500. And so here I am giving the $500. Like, that's what Saul's done. Yeah, you've accomplished what God's called you to accomplish. But by no means have you gone about it the way he's called you to go about it. And uh, Saul called his sin success. We tend to call our sin a mistake. We call our sin, we give our sin this title, It's No Big Deal. That's a title we like to give our sin. And when someone else calls it sin, we call it overreacting. That's how we, that's a way we rebel against God. Instead of saying, hey God, if this is sin, I don't want to, you know, the, people have done crazy things over the years. Um, uh, uh, there was a time within my own lifetime where it was not this church, but we were associated with a church where they said it was sin for a lady to wear pants to church. All right? So people were like living their life like, oh, I have to wear dresses all the time, which is not in the Bible. All right? So when someone tells you something sin in your life, you have to then go to the Bible and say, hey, God, is this really sin? But if someone tells you something sinned in your life, and you go to the Bible and you say, God, is this really sin? And then it's there, you are now faced with a choice. Are you going to rename this? You could rename it old-fashioned. You could rename it out of touch. You could rename it all kinds of things. But our response should always be, God, forgive me. Forgive me. You know, clean me. Change me. Help me. Because, God, I didn't know this was a sin, but I really like it. I don't want to let go of it. But if you're telling me it's sin, and I need to, I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. I'm going to need you to help me. I'm going to need you to change me. I'm going to need you to really work in my life. We can rebel against God when we ignore His voice. Saul, uh, Samuel talking to Saul in verse 18. It says, "The Lord sent you on a mission and told you." He gives the instructions, and then Samuel confronts him, "Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? He, he you know, you were told what to do. You're told very clearly what to do. Why didn't you obey it? No excuse at that. At that." Point has any merit. And so Solomon went through his excuses. He's like, Well, yeah, well, you know, but I did it. I did it. I, 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 the end goal was exactly the same. And, uh, you know, he, he had the opportunity to hear from God. He had the opportunity to do what God wanted. He, had, he heard from God, but he just ignored it and altered it. Sometimes in our life, The voice of God does sound like our parent. For those of you who are teenagers in here, even young adults, God is speaking to you through the wisdom of your parent and you're just blowing them off. Sometimes God is... Speaking to you through the voice of your spouse sounds just like your spouse because it is your spouse talking. Just saying, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about this relationship that you have. Hey, I'm concerned about, about, your, uh, about your mood when you're coming into the house. Hey, I'm concerned about the things that you've been watching. I'm, I'm concerned about how much you've been drinking. I'm con- concerned about all these things and you just like, ah, d- d- no, everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. But it's God." Using a Samuel in your life to say, hey, why why aren't you obeying God? Why aren't you living for God? Lastly, we rebel against God when we rebel against his leadership. Samuel, uh, Saul kept talking, and in verse number 16, uh, it says, then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Stop, stop. Listen, listen to me. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. And then he began to say that passage of scripture that we read at the very beginning. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stop calling it success and recognize it for what it is. You've rebelled against God. Because we can be, because rebellion is so sneaky and uh and we can live and be motivated by rebellion. We have to be very very careful. That's one of the important things of a church community. If we say I want to live for God, then we then we're part of a church. We don't just we don't just uh, have church all by ourselves on Sundays. We don't just go to t- whatever church online that we feel like that week. We have to have a group of people who are who are with us every week, who are growing in Christ with. People who are can and we willingly allow people to speak into our lives, to say, hey, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a man of God. That's the goal for my life. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be married for the rest of my life to, to, uh, to, to my spouse and, and not to have an affair, not to have a divorce. And, and then we allow people to speak into that. Hey, the way you treated your wife at game night was not godly hey, I've been noticing some things. Is everything okay? And we allow Samuels in our life to say, hey, I think, I think you might be even rebelling against yourself. And, and those people, giving them the opportunity allows us to course correct quick and say, man, thank you. Thank you for your help. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for obeying what God told you to tell me. And uh, we all do this. You know, we join a circle and we have a circle leader. We have spiritual moms and dads and people who, who we give permission to speak into any area of our life. We have pastors. Even me, I have a pastor, a group of pastors. So I have uh, Pastor uh, Dan and I. We both have credentials with the Assemblies of God. So for our, our area is Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. And they're pastors over us. And we place ourselves under their authority. And we say, hey, make sure I'm living right. Make sure what I'm teaching is the gospel and I haven't distorted it for my own gain or twisted it in any way. And um, and even in my own tithing, they they check it to make sure that I'm tithing so I'm not lying about about big areas of my life. And if I go off course, they come in and they say, all right, you need, you, we're taking the church from you, we're putting you in a restoration process, and you need to repent. And they come and they bring correction to me in my life if I get in a place where I did that. I have willingly submitted myself under their authority, because I need that. I can't be rogue, I can't go by this myself. I'm not a, a spiritual elite that I can live without authority. Jesus himself even said, "I'm under the authority of my Father. And he is gone, but he still placed himself under the authority of Father God. It's pretty interesting example. So we all have, whether it's parents, bosses, spiritual leaders, there's authority that we've been under. How do we respond in our heart toward those? And the consequence of rebellion um, for Saul, he lost it all. Samuel told him, God's rejected you as king. God picked a new king who uh, went by the name of David, who you may be familiar with, for the next 10 years, Saul fought that and was rebellious towards God's plan and said, hey, God, you can tell me I'm not king anymore. I don't accept that. I rule this nation and uh, tried to kill David, tried, just just really went, um, went insane in his rebellion, doing anything he could, just living to keep his kingdom, living to keep his title, always worried about David, never worried about himself. There's a better way. You don't have to live motivated by rebellion, by the other things, like whether it's revenge or fear uh, or, 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 um, or selfish ambition or greed. You don't have to live by any of those motivations. There's a better motivation. For us, this is what we for those of us who've made a decision to follow Jesus, and even today, if you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus, we invite you to do that. To hear now what I'm about to say next becomes the motivation for your life. As people who follow Jesus, our motivation is the love of Jesus. It's His love that causes us to act, it's His love that causes us to forgive, it's His love that causes us to serve, it's His love that causes us to, um, to give, I don't know if I said give or forgive, um, it's His love that causes us to worship, it's His love that causes us to repent, it's His love that co- causes us to, to live in a sacrificial way, it's His love that motivates us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I remember being in my, in my 20s, uh, early 20s, the first time I heard a sermon on the lo- for the love of Christ compels me and it changed my life. And I pray it would change your life today. You don't have to live rebellious. You don't have to live angry. You don't have to live fighting God tooth and nail. You can live by the love of Christ, motivated by what he did on the cross, motivated by his resurrection, motivated by his forgiveness, motivated by what he's done in your life. And I tell you what, that's freedom. There's not bondage there. There's not constraint there because you can live in a house with legalistic parents and if you're motivated by the love of Christ you don't ever think when I get out of this house I'm never going to church ever again I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to wear pants on Sunday you, you know, I'm going to sleep in pants on Sunday you, you never have to respond out of rebellion because you're free already you're so you're just free from what they've done and how act we don't respond in rebellion against God but we live compelled by his son so question for you today before we pray will you rebel or will you live compelled if you close your eyes I want to pray for you listen don't run from God run to him don't grab what's appealing to you. Do what is approving to him. Don't ignore his word, but listen to his every word. Don't reject the leaders that God's put in your life and the, and the influences that he's put in your life. Allow God to use them to speak into your life. Jesus, thank you for what you've done in our life. How you've forgiven us, how you've healed us, how you've changed us. Your kindness and generosity to us has not gone unnoticed. You are so good to us. This morning, we just free ourselves and admit to ourselves the motivations that we've been living by, and we receive your love right now. Free us from those bondages, from those constraints, from those lies. We receive your love. We receive your forgiveness. And we live now remembering that. We live now compelled by that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.